Amen. Thank you, David. Perfect. Can we guys, can we give a hand clap to the amazing worship that we just had? I mean, that was awesome. Guys, well, I'm super excited. This is my first time preaching in a while. And, and all week I was telling my wife, I said, I'm super excited to preach this message. Because sometimes I'll be driving down the road and God will just drop the message right in my spirit. And I'll get this big, big grin on my face. And then someone driving next to me looks at me and they just see this guy smiling to himself, looking forward as I'm like, Lord, yes, thank you. This is what Providence Church needs to hear this morning. Amen. So I'm so empowered. I want to get out of the way. I want Sheridan to be shoved out of the way so that the Holy Spirit can really, really show you something cool today. Amen. So the title of my message today is Faith It Until He Names It. Say faith it until he names it. And later I'll be discussing why that's so cool and, and, and we'll be discussing more why I titled that message. But I, I, I've been thinking about this idea of stewardship this idea of biblical stewardship. How many of you guys know what stewardship is? Yeah, I've been thinking about this idea of stewardship and comparing stewardship to hard work. I work at a school, and hard work is a value in our nation that is honestly probably put above the rest of values in general. Work ethic is super important to so many people in our society, wouldn't you agree? You walk into any high school classroom, I remember I used to always, I wouldn't be focused on what the math teacher was saying, because I understood I'm probably never going to get what he's trying to tell me about long division. So I'd turn my eyes to the right, and I'd see this poster, and I, I despised this poster, but every day I saw it. And this poster had uh, this line of six or seven Ferraris and Bentleys and cars, and then right out, right, um, after the line of cars, there's this huge mansion, and then there's this huge infinity pool, and all this good stuff. And then right under it, the poster said, this is what you get from hard work. Stay in school, kids. I look at that poster every single day like, what is it talking about? It basically was saying, if you work hard, you can earn the goals, you can earn the things that you want essentially. That work ethic is super, super important because what you put into something is what you'll get out of it. And we even see this as a biblical concept, right? In Galatians, when it says what you reap is what you sow, what you put into something is what you're going to take out of it. But I, I had this thought, and I felt like the Holy Spirit tell me, please tell my people that hard work is of some importance, but stewardship is way more important. Amen? And for those of you who understand stewardship, you'll understand what I'm saying as I, as I go along with this. And for those of you who don't, I'm really excited you, for you guys to understand this. Because the definition of stewardship, all right? This is just right from uh, dictionary.com. This is the standard definition if you were to ask anybody on the street. It's the job of supervising or taking care of something, such as an organization or property, okay? Here's the biblical definition of stewardship, Okay. A biblical worldview of stewardship can be consciously defined as utilizing and managing all resources God provides for the glory of God and the betterment of his creation. And then it, and then it essentially quotes Psalms 24.1 here, and it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 
See, basically, this idea of stewardship is that we're stewarding so much in our lives. I just got married, so depending on how well I'm stewarding my marriage depends on how, marriage, how well that marriage is going to be turning out. Amen? If I'm not stewarding the time well with my wife, if I come home and I choose Netflix over asking her how her day was, if I come home and I choose this over stewarding the time with her, amen, that marriage is going to start from a rocky place. Amen? Some of you guys are not amen, but I know exa- you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, right? So the other day I cleaned out my car. And for those of you who know me, I keep my car extremely filthy, extremely filthy. And something, I, I, I came home one day, and I was super busy, and I was super tired, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, clean out your car. Clean out your car. Become a better steward of your car. You worked hard. You earned this car. You've had this car since you were in college. Not everybody has cars. You have a car. It runs well. It's running fine. And yet you treat it like trash. That's not being a good steward of a car. Amen? So the Holy Spirit said, I want you to clean out your car. So I cleaned out my car. And then it said, I want you to go get a vacuum cleaner and get every single crumb of Taco Bell and McDonald's and bread in between the seats. I want you to collect all the pennies, nickels, and dimes that you can find because you're going to need it because you're getting married soon. So I did it. So I became a better steward of the car. And, and that's, that's essentially what stewardship is, is. There's so many stuff in our lives where, where, where we... If we understand the importance of stewarding it well, we'll understand that what we steward and how we steward is a direct reflection of where we're rooting our heart. You see, what we're stewarding and how we're stewarding is a direct reflection of what we're rooting our heart in. So first, it should be on the screen, go to Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Perfect. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. If you you have a Bible or if you're using your Bible app, underline here I am or make a note of here I am. And then it says, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Today, I'm going to share with you some important values of stewardship. We're basically going to learn today when we steward ourselves right, when we steward, when we become better stewards in certain aspects of our lives, these are the values that come from it. The first thing I want to share with you is I've seen this trend in Christendom, and if you've been with me for really the last year and a half. You've probably heard a classic Sheridan lecture, okay? I know Mr. Rick has heard a classic Sheridan lecture or rant. My wife hears them every single night. 
just a classic lecture. And this is what I've been seeing in all of Christianity lately, is this huge, 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 huge importance placed on leadership. A bunch of value placed on becoming a better leader. And I would argue, and I would postulate that being a steward is far more important than being a great leader. I would actually go as far as to say that if you're not great at stewardship, you're probably never going to develop into a great leader. Amen? Because if you're not stewarding your time well with relationships, with time management, with organization, you're not going to develop into a leader. There's CEOs all across the country who have successful organizations, businesses, who have great corporate standing, who everything goes really well for them as far as the business side of it. But if you were to go and interview one of the people that works for them, these so-called great leaders, if you were to ask some employees that work with them and say, how does this person steward the relationship with you? How well does he know you? How well do you know him? So you can be a great leader, but you can't always be a great steward. And the first thing I want to share with you guys is when God is trying to find us and to find people who he wants to use to advance his kingdom, he will always, 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 always choose availability and obedience over leadership. He's not looking for great leaders. He's not looking for the most qualified people. He's not looking for the people who have the most charisma. He's not looking at the people that everybody wants to follow. He's just looking for people who are willing to be obedient to the thing that he asks of them. Amen? That's the starting point. If we're not even willing to be available or obedient to the thing that God wants to do in our lives, then why would he trust us to do something that he's called us to do? Why would, he, why would he give us an assignment when we haven't been a great steward of the other things that he's asked us to be obedient in? Amen? And so here's Moses. The Lord saw that he had gone over to look. He called him over from within the bush, and Moses said, here I am. Moses said, here I am. Moses allowed himself to become available to God. It's a step that we don't think about a lot. It's a step that we don't even consider. We're so busy thinking about, well, am I qualified enough? Or, or, or maybe if I know a little bit more about the word, or maybe if I know this, or maybe I know that. But the truth is, friends, God just wants your availability. Amen? God wants you to share whatever calendar you use. I use Google Calendar. It's been making my life super organized and super efficient as much as I can. God just wants you to be available. But we play hide and seek with God. We play a constant game of hide and seek with God because we're afraid to be obedient to him. He, we're afraid of what we might have to obey. We're afraid of the assignment that he might have for us. Amen. I work at an elementary school, and I play hide-and-seek almost every single day of the week. And so if there's any expert on hide-and-seek, it's probably me, okay? And I play horrific games of hide-and-seek because a game of hide-and-seek at an elementary school is playing the game of hide-and-seek and then reminding the second graders how to play the game of hide-and-seek, right? So what will happen is I'll tell the second grader or first grader, I'm like, okay, 
you're it. You're going to turn around. You're going to close your eyes. You're going to count to 20. Me and the other teachers and the other kids, we're going to go hide, and you're going to try to find us. 25, 30 minutes will go by, okay? This person that we assigned to be it, we haven't heard a peep from them, okay? And the reason why we haven't heard a peep from them is because we'd go into a corridor, and there's the person who's trying to find us hiding under some bench themselves, like, oh my gosh, I hope they don't come get me. And then I come up to him, I'm like, no, you're the person who's trying to find us. No, 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 that wasn't me. That was, I pled every single day. That's exactly what we do with God. We're so afraid of this obedience that we're supposed to have with him. We're so afraid of what he wants to call us to in terms of an assignment. But instead, we hide into our sin. We hide in a sin that is comfortable. We hide in that sin. We hide in it, and then we go seek refuge in something else that is way more comfortable. But friends, if you learn anything else from my message today, is flip hide and seek backwards. See, what God calls us to do is to not hide in sin and then go seek something that brings us more comfort. He wants us to seek him and hide in his presence. Amen? He wants us to seek him and hide in his presence. Look at this. Right here, Psalms 27, verse 5, it says, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. The NLT version says, For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Some of you guys are looking at me like, What do you mean by hiding in your sin and then seeking refuge where some, where somewhere where you feel comfortable? Sin's not comfortable. Sin is very comfortable for so many of us. Let me tell you something, okay? The other day I walked up to my house and there's this huge black widow right on my door. Now, for those of you who don't know or don't know anything about spiders, if a black widow bites you, it could be fatal. If it bites me, if it bites my wife, if it bites anybody, we could be taking a trip to Kaiser, okay? So I see this black widow, I drop everything I have, I run to the nearest newspaper, magazine, in my now clean car, right? And I go get it, and with all my might, I look at that black widow and I slap it as hard as I can to instantly kill it. Because it's my job to protect my home. And if this black widow were to crawl under the door, and while my wife is cooking something or doing something, and it were to bite her, that's not protecting my home, amen? And so I go in my house, and I feel like I achieved something. Like, wow, I killed a black widow. I'm taking care of business. This is awesome. This is what husband duties are all about. And then the spirit dropped in me, this idea of hiding in our sin and seeking refuge in something that's comfortable. Check this out. He goes, hey, good job on killing the spider. I'm like, thank you, God. He's like, I want to tell you something, though. You saw the same urgency and the same violence and the same aggressive behavior that you used to kill that spider? I'm like, yeah. He's like, so check this out. You know that if that spider were to bite you, it could lead to the death of yourself or it could lead to the death of Marissa. And yet you know that your sin, you know that it leads to death and destruction. And yet you don't use the same urgency, same aggressiveness to protect your house from the sins and the evils of the world. You treat your sin like a pet, but you treat this earthly spider that could kill you 
way more seriously than you treat your sin that will kill you. Amen? Some of you guys aren't hearing me. That's a word right there. We kill, we'll be so willing to go kill black widows, spiders, snakes, other things that can attack our home, but it's so easy to let lust and sin and evil creep into the rooms of our children, creep into the rooms of our wives, creep into the rooms of our family, amen? We know sin leads to death, amen? So what's so important about that? is that Moses made himself available, and instead of hiding in sin and finding refuge in something that's comfortable, I call it pet sins. Everybody has a pet sin. It's that sin that you pet, and you treat like a pet, and you don't see it for the ugly, horrible, horrific thing that it's doing and destroying your life. Amen? I remember in college... I was talking with a friend of mine. He was talking about a particular thing that he was struggling with. And we were sharing, and I said, you know, what are the steps that you're going to take to get rid of this? What are the steps? How are we going to pray for this? What are you going to do? What Bible said? What what are you going to do to help eradicate this? And I'll never forget this in all of my days. He looked at me. Hear this, friends. He looked at me, and he said, you know, the thing is, Sheridan, I know it's sin. I know it's destroying me. But the desire to repent from it and the desire to stop doing it isn't there yet. He's like, the truth is, I like the sin. Actually, I like it more than coming into reunion with God. Actually, I really, really like the sin. The sin is actually part of the thing that I desire every day. It's my pet sin. Pride, got that. Envy, cool with that. This, cool with that. But this sin, it's... It's a part of me. And when I get really stressed out, I hide in it. And I focus on eradicating every other, every other evil and injustice in my life except for, except for this one. It's just so cute. It just, it's not harming anybody. Can anybody relate with that in here? Am I all by myself? It's, if it's okay, then it's cool. If I'm, we just pet it and we're like, ah. It's fine if it walks around my kitchen a little bit. It's not harming my wife. It's not harming my kids that much. It it just, you even set a little bowl for it. It's not harming anybody. And the Holy Spirit said, you saw that energy with the black widow? Where's that energy to protect your home? Where's that energy to allow the presence of God to come in and say, enemy, devil, Uh, demonic oppression, sin, you're not welcome, evil, you're not welcome in this place, amen, this is holy ground, amen, that is protecting your home, so God will always call us into availability and obedience far more than he'll just call us into some kind of leadership, second thing, stewardship requires resilience over reputation, say resilience over reputation, Exodus 5, 5, chapter 5, verse 5, okay? It says, Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. So this is what's taken place so far, okay? So Moses heard from God, I want you to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I want you to to be the messenger to Pharaoh, to bring the people of Israel out of captivity, or I will bring curses upon the land. And this is 
right after Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and tell him, this is what God wants. And this is Pharaoh's response. He gets very frustrated and arrogant. He says, then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. He's basically saying, you're wasting time, Moses and Aaron, talking to me about this, while your people have stopped working and they've become lazy. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseas in charge of the people. Okay? It might not be on here, but check this out. Listen, you are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Then we're going to jump to Exodus chapter 5, 19. Then the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. So let me recap this for you real quick. The people of Israel were slaves, and they would have to go in, and they would receive straw to help make these bricks, to help make these buildings, okay? But now Pharaoh becomes frustrated with Moses and Aaron and the people of Israel. So he basically says, I'm no longer going to provide the straw. Go out and get your own straw, but I still want the same quota number of bricks. He adds a task, Amen. That'd be like your boss getting upset with you and going, so I want that 50-page report on my desk on Saturday, but since you ate my lunch or whatever your boss is upset with, I don't want you to use a regular laptop. I don't want you to use a regular computer to write that report. Go and get an old typewriter and figure it out that way. Basically, Pharaoh was saying, you guys have frustrated me so much. Go and collect your own straws for bricks. Then the Israelite overseers, they realize this. They realize that they're in trouble. And guess what? They have tremendous beef with Moses and Aaron. They say, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Now, let me tell you guys something. If you guys know anything about the relationship between Moses and the people of Israel, you know and I really want to hear an amen from this. You know that Moses had considerable patience. Amen? Because this is one of many, 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 many times where they turn their back on the very person that God used to help bring them out of captivity. They have the guile. They have the boldness. The very man who's trying to help bring them out of captivity, used by God, they're saying, you're making us do extra work, a curse upon you, shame on you. Why are you doing this? And this is exactly what happens. Another great value of stewardship is this. God will always look at a person who has character and resilience more than their reputation. God really, really, really loves to identify and place importance on this idea of having resilience. Guys, I was reading all of Exodus this week. I mean, all of it. Listening it to my car, pouring over so many notes and commentaries. And let me tell you something. Every single time the Israelites would come back to Moses complaining, you brought us out of the wilderness to starve. You brought us out of the wilderness to die of thirst. Now you're making us work harder. 
I literally would read and I would say out loud, that's when I would leave them. And I would read another one, I'd be like, that's when my patience would wither. And I'd read another one, I'd say, that's when I'd give up. That's when I'd give up. That's when I'd give up. And for those of you who don't know, Moses didn't even want this assignment. He didn't want the assignment. He actually said, God, please find another person. I don't want this. So imagine being in a position. You don't even want it. And yet every turn you make, every single time you're obedient to God, the very person that you are helping bring these people out of captivity, they have nothing but negativity to respond back to you. They're not grateful. They're not appreciative. And they actually, they try to stone you more than they try to help you. That's the very thing. That, that, that's the thing about stewardship. Because a lot of us are praying and asking, God, when is this going to happen? When are you going to call me to this mighty work? When are you going to have me lead thousands and hundreds of people? When is this going to come? When is that position going to come? But friends, so many times God's like, you give up way more than you're resilient. You give up way more than you persevere. Why would I send you into this assignment? Why would I give you this position of leadership when you're not even a great steward of certain aspects of your life? Why would I have you go up there to preach? Why would I have you do this? Why would I call you into this when you don't even steward certain aspects of your life well? I work at a dojo. I teach kids martial arts. It's very new for me. It's long nights. And it's a lot of kicking, as you would imagine, okay? I've had a 10-year hiatus from this stuff, all right? I got my black belt when I was 15 or 16, and then I would pop back into martial arts over the course of the years, all right? And all these kids kick way higher than I do, way higher than I do. And I'm supposed to be the instructor teaching them how to kick better, okay? So I'll teach them and I'll say, all right, this is how you do a roundhouse kick. And I'll go and do the roundhouse kick. And then a little six-year-old will look at me and he'll go like this. And then he'll kick and his kick will shoot up, touch that light with a, month, with a bunch of power and bring it back down. And then he'll look at me and, he go, and he'll go, it's a little different than the, way, the one you showed me. Am I doing it correctly? And I'll just be like, yeah, you're doing it right. I'm just stiff. I haven't stretched in years. So I have to do this every single day, every single day. My boss, the master of the dojo, makes me put my hand on a wall, bring my leg up, and do 100 kicks on each leg. Because essentially, if I keep doing 100 kicks every single day on each leg, my left and my right, it's going to create and increase the muscle dexterity. So it's going to create more flexibility in these muscles. And so every single time I think, why am I doing this? The kick's never going to get higher. I should just show the kids a video of how to kick better. Why am I doing this? And every single time, usually around kick 36, I'm seeing people walk by stuff from a Thai restaurant thinking to myself, why am I doing this? I just want to go home. But friends, I tell you that silly story to tell you this. Guys, we're not great stewards at some of the things of, in our lives. And God looks at resilience over reputation. 
He's not looking for the coolest guy in the room. I don't know what this new trend is of cool Christians. It kills me when I walk into rooms with fellow pastors and they have the best sneakers, best jeans. I mean, they literally look like a fashion model and that's not a judgment towards them. But listen to me. God doesn't like cool Christians. Now, I'm not saying that we're cool. We're all super cool. You guys are all super cool. I'm cool. You're all super cool as well. But God doesn't care about your reputation. He doesn't care about your charisma. If you're not first willing to be obedient, available, and have at least enough resilience. Amen? Because it doesn't matter if you've gone to so many theology classes that you can call every single scripture in the Bible. It doesn't matter if you know this theology. It doesn't matter if you know this and that and all these different intricacies of of systematic theology. And you can quote scripture like nobody's business. And yet when you know that a church or when you know that an organization needs help and you volunteer your time and then you quit and then you quit and then you get this job and then you quit and then God gives you this job and then you quit. Guys, let me tell you something. I could be losing friends today, but that's not the heart of God, friends. We're supposed to be amazing stewards in the marketplace. God has given us a spirit of resilience that is so awesome, and you have to access that. He cares far more, far more about if, you, if I give you this assignment, are you going to stay on mission or are you going to give up when it gets hard? And that's what he saw in Moses. He saw a man that could barely speak and he said, you know what? I'm going to choose Moses because the people of Israel are going to give him such a hard time. I need someone who will be resilient. That is stewarding leadership well. Amen? You guys with me? I'm losing some of you, I can tell, all right? Stewardship requires, and this is the last one, commitment over charisma. It requires commitment over charisma. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent. I love this. Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Moses had a speech impediment. Moses stuttered. Okay, He couldn't speak well. Then the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what you say. This is how I want to close this sermon. As friends, I've preached here a handful of times, and every single sermon I end up sharing a little bit about me working in special education. And it probably won't end here. I'm going to keep talking about it because I love it. (laughs) But this is why I always talk about it. It's because whenever I go into these schools and I'm around these kids who can't talk, I'm around these kids who can't walk, I'm around these kids who can't hear, who can't see, and I have to help feed them and change them and toilet them and do all those things. I don't say that to impress you. Listen, when I'm there, I always hear the Spirit of God say, I'm done putting all my cards, I'm done putting all my chips into the most qualified. I'm done putting all my chips. I'm done banking on the men and women who have charisma, who have leadership, because they're not obedient to me. So this is what I'll do. 
I'll use a person like Moses who has a speech impediment because at least he will be obedient to me. Friends, let me tell you something. Everything in the kingdom of God is opposite. It's opposite. To be the greatest, you have to be the least. To be the greatest, you have to be the least. And friends, let me tell you something. I walk along these hallways, these children in chairs, and guess what? God has given them a voice for the kids who can't talk. God gives vision to the kids who can't see. And God gives limbs to the kids who can't walk. Because the people who can... And the people who, who focus on their charisma, their reputation, being, getting attention, and leadership, he's not going to put his stock in them anymore. I'm going to start rising up miraculous kids and people who the world looks at and says, I won't expect any from, anything from this person. But instead, he's going to give them a voice. He's going to give the voice to a voiceless. He's going to have them hear words and visions and give them dreams. Because they understand something that maybe we can't. See, that's where it comes into faith it, until he names it is when God is calling Moses to his assignment and God is saying, look, Moses, I've called you for such a time as this. Please do this. I've called you to bring my people, your people out of Israel. He keeps citing, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says it almost every two lines. He kept reminding Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Guys, I want you guys to walk away from this message understanding this. Is as Christians, we don't have to use the phrase, fake it until you make it. When we step into an assignment at our job, when we're teaching kids how to kick better, we don't have to fake it until we make it. That's temporary confidence. We can faith it until he names it. What do I mean by that? You see, what Moses understood, he said, if I go into this situation and I try to fake it until I make it, I'm going to fail a thousand times. But if I steward this situation well, I give a complete reliance on the Father. And if I create a faith in me that is so resilient and so obedient to what God wants me to do, I will prosper in this assignment that he has given me because he keeps telling me that he'll never leave me because Moses understood something. We have to be great stewards of our community. Our faith can't increase if we don't know other people's stories where their faith came in and did amazing, powerful things. You see, what God is doing is he's saying, Moses, you want to know how I'll never leave you? I know you're not confident. I know you have a speech impediment. I know you're nervous. I know that they're going to rebuke you and try to stone you. But I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And every single day, every single morning, we wake up when God calls us to do something that we're like, please not me. I can't do this. He says, Sheridan, don't you remember? I'm the God of Johnny and David and Don. He says that to us. That's what he's saying to Moses. Faith it until he names it. That's what empowers us to keep moving forward and to be resilient in the assignments, to be great stewards of what God has given us. Amen? Amen. Not fake it until 
we make it? What does that even mean? Faith it until he names it. You need more motivation? I was there with Dawn. You need more motivation? I was there with Marissa. You need more motivation? I was there with Sydney. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I am the God of you. And I will not leave you to the end of the days. Faith it until he names it. Friends, I want you to know today, God loves you. And there's so many exciting things that he wants you to do. There's so many exciting things that I truly believe that he will do through our church. But we have to understand something. We have to first make ourselves available. We have to first recognize that we have to be obedient. We have to be resilient even when it gets hard. And we need faith. And faith comes from stewarding your community. It's hard to understand how powerful faith is when you don't know the testimonies and the stories and when you're not placing relational equity in the people that you're going to church with, friends. Allow people, allow your brothers and sisters and neighbors in Christ to tell you this is where God showed up. I love talking to Elder Johnny because every single day I talk with that man, he reminds me that he was almost at the end of his life and God showed up. That's God reminding me, I'm the God of Johnny. I'm the God of Sydney. I'm the God of you. Be strong and courageous like he told Joshua. I won't leave you because I'm done calling the qualified, the successful, the leader oriented the charisma driven. I'm about to call the people who the world thinks nothing of to do amazing things because they're going to be obedient to me. Ushers, why don't we prepare to, we're gonna take offering at this time. And I want the tech guys, there's a video